Welcome to Renaissance City, a Prowlers and Paragons actual play radio drama here on the TTRP Theater Twitch channel. TTRP Theater is a group of actors, artists, and gamers from all walks of life that collaborate to bring you compelling content. I am Duke Walter, your game master. Myself and a group of friends have come together to spin some tales, have some laughs, and hopefully entertain you with our stories of superheroes. The Prowlers and Paragons system is a rules-light role-playing game that allows us to live out the fantasy of being the heroes and villains. Before we get into this first game, I want to say thank you to Evil Beagle Games for being generous enough to share their latest version with us, Prowlers and Paragons Ultimate Edition. Their successful Kickstarter recently closed, but you can still get on there and support them through their pledge manager. Check them out at evilbeaglegames.com for more information about this and their other products. The reason that I chose PNPUE as the system to use for this game is twofold. One, my friends are all great storytellers, artists, and actors, and one of the main mechanics of the Prowlers and Paragons system is that the narrative is sometimes turned over to the players. This this differs from a lot of standard systems in that I, as the game master, won't always have control. I like this aspect of the game. It makes me think on my feet, and it also means that there's a lot of improvising when it comes to each issue. Two, some of my friends have never played an RPG in their life, and none of us have played this system. The system is simple enough that within an hour, most anyone can pick it up and start playing. And I want the creators at Evil Beagle to keep making awesome stuff, so maybe, just maybe, I can get some of you to support them too. There are a few rules that you all should know about before we get into the episode. Firstly, this is a D6 system. That means that you only need the traditional six-sided cubes that you find in almost every board game you've ever played. No special dice needed. The die rolls equate to successes. Each trait, ability, and power have a number of dice that the player has predetermined. When needed, the player will roll that many six-sided dice. All even numbers showing are considered successes, while odd numbers are failures. In this game, when a player rolls a six, they get to re-roll the die for a chance at additional successes. If the player nets three or more successes than the threshold or the number of successes that I, as the game master, roll, then the player gets to narrate the scene. If it is one to two more, then the actor gets to narrate, but I get to embellish. If it is zero or negative one net successes, then I get to narrate, and the player gets to embellish. And if it is negative two net successes, then I, the GM, get to narrate the entire scene. Embellishment allows both sides to add narration in a small but meaningful way. But embellishments cannot contradict the narration or make it true, but effectively meaningless. You'll see what I mean as we play more and more of this game. Our first episode is a bit of history about one of the heroes of Renaissance City, Saint Shadow. Jason Abramowitz, affectionately referred to as Jazz, is playing this character. Please note that this is our first recording, and so the audio quality is a bit rough in places. If you want to help support us on Patreon, please search TTRP Theater, all one word on Patreon. You can help us to upgrade our equipment, support other artists, and continually create new content. Now, let's get into the show. Our first character that we're introducing is going to be played by my good friend, uh, Jazz Abramowitz. Jazz, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Good. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I currently live in Jacksonville, Florida, I'm deep into the South, which is kind of weird for like a lifetime Midwesterner. I am an actor. I'm a writer. I'm a filmmaker. I like to play games. And I'm super looking forward to getting into this stuff. You and I have known each other for a long time. And I mean, we, we go back as far as the late 90s. We were roommates in college, but we've never played a role-playing game before. Um, and you haven't played a lot of role-playing games yourself, have you? I haven't. I think I've played maybe two or three campaigns uh, my entire life. The first campaigns that I ever played were when I lived in Lawrence. Um, so that'd be, you know, sometime around the year 2000. 
Um, at this point, I know we did one D&D campaign and then one campaign that was like a space odyssey kind of thing. And I can't remember the name. Cool. But uh, I played through those campaigns entirely. I really enjoyed myself. And then as things happened, people got busy and the gaming crew just kind of dissipated. Never really had an opportunity to jump back in and play again. Well, I'm super stoked to get this going. I'm so glad you said yes. So let's jump in feet first, man. Let's talk about your character a little bit. Um, <laughs> I know it's I so funny. Because I'm, so, I'm so tickled by him, but uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Alabaster, Alabaster Reg, Reg, Reginald. Reginald. Say, say, say the whole thing. Alabaster, Reginald, Whitingale. <laughs> like arguably the most Caucasian uh, character in, or, or human in the world, possibly. Possibly. Uh, he, he, I definitely feel like he and his family um, are, are descendants of the original Mayflowers. Like that's how white they are. Okay. I can, yeah, I can get, I can get that. I can get in with that. So yeah. Old money. Old money. One of the first um, families to really settle in Detroit. They actually were fortunate enough to uh, buy up, a lot of the or some of some property some really really uh strategic property on the detroit river which we know historically in the 20s was a huge deal because that was detroit's port and a lot of trade came through there right so they have some warehouses that are on the river and they deal uh historically they dealt with everything from um grain um and uh, paprika, saffron, you know, different herbs and stuff. And eventually also fine art, jewelry, enjoyed trade lanes uh, with, with Europe and, and clearly also inbound and outbound within the U.S. And so a lot of, a lot of money uh, flowing through their family and, and basically have, have always been a wealthy family from, from the time that they established themselves in the U.S. Nice. Okay. so. This game requires, as part of your build, that you give me, as the game master, at least three connections. Um, and they're basically NPCs for those of you listening that have played Dungeons & Dragons or other games. Um, the characters are have to create at least three NPCs for me to kind of help populate the world. Uh, because in a comic book setting without people to populate it it's not a very interesting story and it also helps to keep them based in reality a little bit let's talk about your parents your parents are who you gave me as one of your connections i think your mom is that right i gave you both father and mother so, father and mother okay uh, father is um lawton higgins whitingale <laughs> um <laughs> uh, i i think it's important for people to understand that Alabaster is not a Lawton Higgins Jr. or the second, and that's important for the 1920s um, and for their family history. There's there's a reason for that. But Lawton Higgins Whitingale is his father. Um, Edith Marigold Whitingale is his mother. She was born as Stevenshire. She's a Stevenshire uh, originally. <laughs> Excellent. And... Since your old money um, and this time period, you guys live in a 
very palatial estate. Uh, your family hobnobs with all of the elites. Like your your parents probably have you know personal relationships with people like Henry Ford, um, Alfred P. Sloan, you know political connections, um, that sort of thing. But within your home, as is wont for ultra rich people, but especially ultra rich people during this time period, you guys also have a bunch of servants in the house too. Just off the top of your head, I know we didn't really talk a lot about this, but how do you feel about the servants in your house? Um, and, and around your so, property. You know, at least originally, as he's growing up, Alabaster didn't know any difference. So uh, clearly there was there was a, a nanny or a nursemaid who who more or less raises him, as is as is pretty typical in that time period for wealthy families. There are also servants, probably um, black Americans predominantly, who are servants in their houses. And um, and then they have groundskeepers. There's probably chambers, maids, cooks. I mean, this is a very wealthy family. So I, I think uh, in his early life, Al doesn't really know any other way. He's never been exposed to anybody except his own family and then families that are just like him. And so it seems very normal and natural for him in his early life to be surrounded by servants and, and workers at his estate. Uh, or his family's estate. As he grows older, he he begins to feel very differently about um, them, and and you know some of the history there, and we'll probably get into that. He begins to feel uh, very differently around the classist divide in which he begins to realize exists as he grows older. So you are probably 12, 13 years old, um, and as a young boy, you have started to develop this tendency for theft right whether it stems from just thrill seeking or uh you know i mean is it is it is it is it thrill seeking is it because you're a spoiled brat and you think you can get away with anything you want to you know i mean what what is it that that starts you down that road generally speaking um there there are certain events that that happen to al as uh, around that age and he he decides that he needs to take some some action into his own hands, and and he ends up uh, kind of breaking into an institution um, to try and get some information. And what he finds out is that he was actually really good at it. And it, it's probably the first thing in his life that he knows that he's good at, and has nothing to do with the wealth or the privilege that he was born into. And so there's a certain amount of pride that he feels in being able to do this. But then there's also a thrill-seeking component because as he grows older, but especially at that time, he continues to push himself um, and take higher risks in order to see just who, who can catch him in this. And in many ways, as, as we all uh, tend to do at that age, he, he has that feeling of invincibility as well as a sort of a, a complex of, you know, fuck you, daddy, should he ever get caught. Okay, so let's play a little scene out. You are home, and it, it's the middle of the week. Um, you know, your, your mother has, she's been gone most of the morning at um, her garden club meeting, and um, there are several people in the house that are tidying up and uh gardening and just you know the 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 general 
work that's done throughout the day in your home. It's, it's nothing is out of place. And you have decided that you're, you're feeling a little rebellious and you have stolen a few things here and there from uh, maybe friends' houses or or your parents' friends' houses, like when they forced you to go along to some boring-ass party um, or they forced you to go along to some social event at some ridiculous hall um, and they put you on display and made you dress up in your least favorite tuxedo. and um, Right, and you have been maybe formulating this plan that you are going to, you're going to get back at your parents. And um, what, what is something in the house that you would definitely think that not only would it be noticed, but would have an impact um, on your parents if it was to turn up missing? My father's father, so my grandfather, left uh, my father upon his death an ivory pipe that he got from, from his father, uh, passed down, um, and is, is rumored at least to, um, have been a gift from, from a Duke, uh, in England. Okay. And I know that my father would just be livid and, and also completely worried should that, that particular object disappear. Okay. Is this, is this pipe on display somewhere or is it something that he actually uses and smokes out of it is for display only and it is it is on display but it's in kind of a a strange place in the house so he has a kind of a trophy room that is uh a a room that is connected to his um study uh it's behind a locked door most of the time and then um or the door is locked most of the time and then um, that that particular object is um, a centerpiece uh, behind a, a glass case, which is also locked. Um, and it's the centerpiece of a wall that is um, mostly uh, his his trophy hunting head mounts. And he he liked to hunt uh, elephants in Africa. Dad did. So uh, he's got a lot of different ivory objects. But the ivory pipe is dead center of this display behind behind a locked glass door. Okay, perfect, man. That was great. Jesus Christ, that was amazing. Um, right off the top of the dome. So, okay, Alabaster, you have decided that um, you're gonna show them, and you're gonna you're gonna get that ivory pipe. Yeah. Okay. So, how do you how do you get there? Uh, this, this house. You can imagine, as you described it, it's it's a large palatial house. And, of course, I spend a lot of time as a young person connecting with the only people in my house who aren't my parents, which are most of the servants. The servants' quarters are traditionally going to be either under or behind the house. In this case, I'm hanging out in the kitchen, which is behind most of the house. So that means that I have to actually go through the entire house to get to the eastern wing, which is where my father's study is. Once I get to the study, if his study door is open, then I have to go to a second set of doors, which is his trophy room, and I have to get into those doors. 
But if uh, the study doors are closed, then I also have to find a way to get into the study. Okay. Awesome. So first I want you to roll your covert. All right. So the covert talent in this game is basically kind of your stealth. It, it encompasses a lot of the standard thief kind of ideas. Yeah, go ahead. So roll and tell me how right. many successes you get. Odds are successes. Yes. Evens. No, evens. All right. Uh, let's see. And I'm rolling seven of them, correct? Yes. Four successes. Did you roll any sixes? I did. I rolled one six. Okay. Well, here's the cool thing about sixes is that you get to roll sixes again. Oh, all right. Um, no, still four successes. Four successes. Okay, that's enough. Tell us, uh, tell us how you get into the study door. As I walk through the quarters, I'm looking back and forth. As I as I walk through the hallways to get to the study, I'm looking back and forth around. I I, I want to make sure that's important to me that nobody else sees me, not any other servants, because there are mouths all over the house. And so the first thing I have to do is be very, very careful and, and be as, as sneaky as possible to make sure that nobody sees me. Reality is probably nobody's paying attention to me because I'm just a stupid 13-year-old kid, but I'm taking it very, very seriously. And so, as you can imagine, Alabaster is crouched down. He is moving as quiet as a mouse. You can barely hear his footsteps as he crouches behind couches and around end tables, looking out to make sure that nobody's finding him. And as he approaches the study door, he goes to check the handle. And of course, it's locked. A lot of the locks in his house are actually easily picked with a bobby pin, which he had previously taken from his mother's bathroom. And so he breaks out the bobby pin and attempts to unlock the door. Perfect. The The door comes unlocked and um, you know that this is a big, heavy door. Um, so you're going to have to be extra extra careful with opening it and closing it but you you do that deftly and uh there's there's no one that uh notices you as you make your way into the study you get inside the study and you know it, it's not an unfamiliar place to you you don't spend a lot of time in here this is uh very much kind of the private sanctum of your father and you know there are some very large overstuffed chairs but there are also some very expensive antiques in here as well Two walls completely lined with books, all sorts of trophies of, of various sorts. Um, your father is an excellent marksman, um, so he has some shooting trophies in here. It's the next room where all of his, you know, animal trophies are. But but on the floor there is um, there's a very large lion skin. It's very decked out, and you're you've always been kind of nervous in this room because. Your father knows where everything is in this room all of the time. That's right. You very deftly and quietly um, close the door behind you and turn the lock. And across the room is the second door that leads into the trophy room. So I, I approach the trophy door. I, I'm making, uh, I, I'm looking at everything. I'm, I'm making sure that I'm leaving no evidence of my being there. In fact, it's it's almost obsessive to the point where if I see a fiber on the carpet move from left-leaning to right-leaning, I'm going to change it before I even approach the door. 
Okay. If that's the case, then I want you to roll um, investigation. All right. So investigation in this game um, is kind of intuitive as to what it is. Um, It's uncovering clues, questioning or interrogating people, analyzing, making deductive or intuitive leaps. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's a, this one's going to be a big one for you personally, for your character personally. So, all right, here we go. Uh, I have two successes. One is a six. I'm going to reroll that one. That would be three total successes. Nice. Three is three is what I was going to set the bar at. So uh, so you are successful. Um, You you know what I mean? You you make sure that you cover your tracks on the way in and you get to the other door. Um, Roll covert again, because this door is also locked. All right. First roll. Oof. One success. That's it. No sixes. Oh, no, wait. I got two more dice to roll. But you, yeah. you have two more dice to roll. You got seven all together. Uh, ooh, uh, three successes. One is a six and three successes total. Three successes. Okay. Um, that's enough to get the door unlocked. This door is almost exactly the same as the other door, except that uh, carved into the door handle is the face of an elephant. So the, the door handles themselves are, are ivory. It's really, really intricate. Um, and you've always been kind of fascinated by the, the tiny little etching work that has been done into this door handle. But you are able to get the door open and get it quietly closed again, and you are standing in the trophy room. You know, this is a time when there aren't necessarily alarms or anything like that, but this is also the inner, inner sanctum of your father. And so you are, again, wildly aware of your steps and making sure that you disturb nothing. There, In, in the center of the room, there sits and they're stuffed in a way that it looks like they are, that they're attacking each other. One is a leopard and the other is a hyena. Mm. And the way that they're mounted and stuffed, um, you know, teeth bared, it's it's a vicious scene. Around that on the floor, covered in zebra skins, there are stuffed baboons in here and two large bull elephant heads um, hanging one on the wall on your right and one on the wall on your left. You've always been intrigued and impressed and kind of scared knowing that your father could take down these animals himself. You've, you've never been invited on a hunt. You've never, he has never really taught you to shoot guns necessarily. But this room just kind of has that aura of fear for you yeah. a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm probably 80 pounds soaking wet uh, at this stage in my life. Right. And so the, these things seem like giant dinosaur monsters to me almost. Yeah, right. These, these guys will yeah. kill right. you. Right. <laughs> if, they, if they were to come to life, or you would Or if my die. dad caught me in here, I feel like I would, I would receive the same fate. Right. And and you're sure of that because these things are all right. dead and stuffed and you know that they're not going to come to life. Head, my head would be on the wall next is what I think. But yes. I, I, I want to do it anyway. And and, and his and where the pipe is, is is encased in a giant glass case, which is perfectly cleaned and no smudges anywhere on it. You make your way around the room, uh, making sure not to step on any of the rugs. You know, you're you're very, very careful about disturbing anything in the room. And uh, you get around to the glass case where the ivory pipe is set. What do you do? So 
I'm, I'm looking at the glass case and this lock is different than the ones that I usually pick open with the bobby pin. So I need to, I need to look at this lock a little closer to see if I can understand what the mechanism is that I need to release in order to open up this case. It, it doesn't take a standard key that I'm used to seeing. Then let's, huh, would that be investigation or would that be intellect? I'm going to say it's investigation. Okay. Uh, let's see. I got three successes, two or sixes. Uh, four total successes. Four successes. Okay. Yeah, you are, um, you're able to deduce the lock and you are sure that you are not going to be able to do it with a bobby pin though. So I, I want to start looking around, um, for a desk or someplace that I think my father might, um, be, be hiding the key to this case. Okay. Roll, roll an intellect this time, this time okay. roll intellect. One, two, three, four, four total successes. Four total successes. Okay. You are pretty sure that your father carries the key with him. Mm. But you think that you remember on top of the door frame that there's a hidden lever. You, you remember your father reaching up to the top of the door frame at one point growing up. And he, I don't think you were supposed to see it happen. You, you, have, you have this memory of your father running his hand along, along the top of the door frame. Well, let's go check out the door frame. Okay. Roll, roll an investigation check. Uh, one success. <laughs> the lever that you find, you're having kind of a, a hard time getting it to move because you're just not quite tall enough, mm. you think. Well, um, I know that my father keeps a small footstool back in the study room underneath his main desk because he, he likes to keep his feet elevated. Okay. So I, I'm going to quietly sneak back out of the study, leaving the door slightly ajar so it does not relock on me. I'm going to go back into the study. I'm going to, as carefully as I possibly can, grab the footstool, and I'm going to carry that back with me into the trophy room. Okay, roll covert. All right. I have three success. Or no, let me roll my other two. I have four successes. One's a six. I have four total successes. Okay, tell me how you get in there and get back in, and and what you what you do to uh, get to the top of the door frame. So I sneak back into the study as I as I slink through the door from the trophy room into the study. I take a look around. It does appear that nobody's around, which is quite normal because people generally just aren't allowed in father's study. I. Um, sneak around the carpets again, making sure that uh, I'm leaving no trace behind. I go to his desk. I find the footstool. The footstool itself is quite ornamental. Its legs are also ivory, um, presumably from one of his elephant kills. I grab the stool. It is remarkably heavy. It's made out of solid cherry wood and ivory. 
and I'm sort of weak. So even this small object is a bit hard for me to to carry around deftly, but I grab it and I hold it close to my chest and I begin to sneak back. As I approach the trophy room door, I obviously have to open the door wider this time in order to get through with the footstool. Right. And because I need to have access to the top of, of the door frame. So I open it just as slowly and quietly. This, this almost in my mind takes 35 minutes. I'm going so slow <laughs> with only the focus that a child can have when they are literally uh, when, when they're when sneaking they're, a cookie yes, from a cookie. grandma's cookie when, jar. You know, their their hand is moving in micro millimeters uh, per you know per minute almost. Uh, so I, I I go to painstaking effort in order to open the doorway just enough for me to be able to then stand on the footstool and reach up uh, to try and find the lever on top of the doorframe. Okay. With the footstool, um, you are able to flip the lever. The glass doesn't move, but the base does. The base that the pipe is sitting on lowers about eight inches so that you can reach your hand in and get the pipe. Um, and the pipe smells of stale tobacco and leather, and it reminds you of your grandfather when you smell it. And so there's a little pang of guilt in your heart as you, as you put your hands on it and take it. But then that quickly goes away because you're still really pissed off that your mom made you stay at the Evanson party uh, on Sunday night. It was so hot and she wouldn't let you take your jacket off and your dad, you know, had to take you in the other room and he actually bopped you on the back of the head to get you to, you know, stay in line because you kept trying to mouth off to your mother and you just, all that just keeps running through your head and you're just pissed. So that pain of guilt... Goes she away. made me wear a red vest, which I hate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I only want to wear black all the time, and she made and she made me wear a red vest, I, and I I just can't stand it. It just makes me so mad. And, and a red, a red tie. tie. And it just it just made me so so angry, so angry. Okay, um, so you you get the pipe, and you do you do you flip the switch back or? What do you, what yeah, do you do? I, I want to, I want to leave the, the room, the trophy room and the study, um, as if I was never there with the exception of the pipe being missing. Okay. So I want, I want the, the lever to go back up. I want to make sure that I return the footstool back underneath my father's desk before I leave. Okay. Roll covert again then. Five successes. Okay, man. Tell us what you do to get out of the room. The first thing I do, of course, is I step back on top of the um, footstool. I run my hand over the top of the door frame. I find the lever. I re-engage it. I watch as the base or the platform that the pipe was on raises back into the case. It sets naturally where it should, but of course, there's no pipe there. I, again, slightly shove the footstool out of the way and painstakingly close 
my father's study door in order and make sure that I hear the click of the lock behind me. I then take the footstool. I sneak uh, so painstakingly around my father's desk where I have moved his chair out of the way. I place his footstool back uh, in the exact place in which it came. I push my father's chair back into the exact location it was at his desk. And I approach the main doors to the study. I open up the main doors just enough for me to see out of it just to make sure that there is nobody directly in front or at least within the peripheral vision that I allow myself within this crack of the doorway. I don't see anybody. I open it up only about what feels like three or four inches enough for me to slide my extremely thin, lanky frame out of the door and back into the main hallway, closing the door behind me and making sure I hear the click of the lock. Nice. Nice. Okay. So you now have the pipe in your possession. The day goes on. You know, your your mother comes home mid-afternoon. You know, she greets you and, you know, asks you about your day. You know, the, all of the normal rigmarole. She starts ordering up, you know, what will be for dinner. She changes clothes. She comes downstairs. She makes a cocktail for herself and your father. Your father comes home. You know, he's usually home around 6 p.m. in the evening, and they're sharing a cocktail. You can smell food starting to come about, and the bell rings for dinner. You all go down to dinner, and, you know, you have this massive, ornate dining room. You know, it's it's all laid out. There's, you know, there are three people eating dinner, and there are 10 or 11 people attending you while you're eating dinner. And there's, there's not much conversation during dinner. You know, your father, he doesn't really speak directly to you, but you, you know, he's, he's telling your mother a, a story about one of the wharfmen getting hurt um, as they were bringing in a load and how unfortunate it was. But he didn't know that that it was the company's fault, so um, he was going to do his best to help the man if it was necessary, but it's probably his own fault. You know, you all finish dinner, and he excuses himself and makes his way towards the Eastern Wing. You know that after dinner, he goes to the study. And what he does in there, you're not really sure, but you you know that after dinner, he goes to the study. Um, and you see him head down the hallway, and... Your mother excuses herself from the room and she goes upstairs. And um, what do you do? I'm going to um, I'm going to retreat to my room. Okay. Uh, and read a book and wait for wait for what I know is going to be, or at least what I believe is going to be, an epic meltdown from my father. Yeah, it doesn't take long. Um, you know, you you get upstairs <laughs> and all of us. You know what I mean? You're you're not up there. 10 minutes and you know you can hear the door to the study slam i mean and you're not close to it but you know what i mean it it slams it's a big heavy door and you can hear it slam Mm -hmm. um and you hear your father yelling edith edith and then he starts calling edward edward and your mother comes what is it what is it dear what is it my pipe is missing and edward who is the butler in the house he is um he's probably a, a mid 50s uh, black american man and he hears pipe missing and he 
immediately goes into action. You hear him calling out for the rest of the servants. He steps, there's a phone in your entryway, and he immediately goes to the phone and dials the police. And I mean, it, your your house turns into chaos. <laughs> your father is furious and stomping. Um, you have never seen him so mad. He is turning things over. He is yelling. He is he has gone into the sitting room and has started to tear cushions off of things and is screaming, "We we've been robbed! We've been robbed!" Can I can I maybe roll a? Uh, well, let me ask you this: Is did he leave the the door to his study open? No, he slammed the he slammed the um, door like, closed. But are the doors open? Uh, yeah, or, you don't know if it's locked or unlocked, but he he okay, slammed so the door closed. closed. That that was what okay. caught your attention first, is you heard that door slam. Gotcha. Okay. I wasn't sure if that was the trophy room door. No, that or was the that study was the door study that you door. heard. You, he, you know what I mean? He was bellowing as he came out and slammed that door. I mean, he is he is turning over chairs. Got he it. is furious. He is yelling. Your mother is practically in tears um, because she hasn't. You know what I mean? She's she's never seen your father like this. He is so mad that he goes and grabs Edward by the jacket. How did you let this happen? How did you let this happen? You know what that means to me. And Edward is blubbering and you know what I mean? And he's completely taken aback. Edward has been with your family, you know what I mean? Longer than you've been alive. Right. Are you where 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 are you watching this from? Because this is kind of happening. You have a you know what I mean? You have a you have a big foyer. And and this is all kind of happening in the foyer. Um, are you in the room? Are you at the top of the stairs? Are you? Yeah, I, I'm at the top of uh, I, I'm at the top of a traditional spiraled staircase, and my bedroom sits on a mezzanine level. And I'm I'm standing on the mezzanine, uh, leaning on the railing, and and watching the chaos uh, from above. Okay. Yeah, your father has Edward by the jacket and is just in his screaming in his face. I mean, damn near frothing at the mouth. And, you know, Edward is just floored. Um, he's, you know, and your father is accusing Edward at this point of, of stealing it. Um, how dare you? You son of a bitch. You let this happen. You took it, didn't you? You took it. You're the only one who knows where the spare key is. You're the only one. And Edward is, but, but sir, I... I would, I would never, I know, I, I, I would never, I would never. And your father rears back and punches Edward in the face. Oh my God. And knocks him to the ground. The other servants have made their way into the foyer at this time. And they, you know what I mean? They see this happen. And several of the women yell. Um, one of them rushes up to your father to try to get him off of Edward. Um, and he, and he shoves her to the ground. Um, and your mother is screaming and crying at this point. And your father, never show your face here again. And he grabs Edward by the back of his jacket and flings him out the front door. Your mother is crying. She's begging your father, you know, just let the police come. Let the police deal with this. Your father is, he's listening to no one. And he just, he walks past your mother he doesn't shoulder her but only because she gets out of the way is the my nanny or the nursemaid who who raised me for the most part in the room she was the one who who ran up to your father trying to get him off of edward and got shoved to the floor 
is is the way that he's walking. Uh, oh, she got shoved to the floor. Yeah, she's she she's the one that got shoved to the floor. Okay, so I, I'm going to go down and comfort. Um, I'm going to go down and comfort her. Okay, not your mother. Okay, not my not my mother. <laughs> okay, your nanny. Um, you know what I mean. She's she's already gotten herself up, but she's tears and she's trying to hold it in and she's trying to catch her breath and try to figure out what has happened and you notice that as you're walking through the room everyone is kind of milling about you know and there was this kind of general hysteria in it and you you've walked into the room and you you cross the room and and you go to your nanny and you put your arms around her and she is smiling like you can feel this, you know, you know how when you hug someone that, that's really upset and you can kind of feel their body change a little bit at the touch of someone else. And that's what you feel. You put your arms around her and you give her a hug and it's you can feel her mood change a little bit. She becomes a little brighter. She becomes a little happier and she puts her hand on your head and and she, you know, she tries to comfort you. Um, she's like, it's OK. I, you know, your father, he's. He's just um, he's just very upset and um, he he has every right to be. You know how important that pipe is to him. And and she just catches her breath and she squeezes you a little bit harder and she she puts her hands on your shoulders and, you know, kind of brings you out so she can look you in the face. And um, and she's she starts smiling at you and she's still crying. And it's a little strange, like it's not it. It doesn't make a lot of sense that she's this happy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get that. That's weird. That's strange. Um, I ask her what, what's going to happen to Edward. Your, your father's put him out on the street. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to him. Does he, does he, does he have a place to go? Um, he has a family. He has a wife and he has some children, but I, they're, they're older. He'll, I'm sure your father will come to his senses and 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 will bring Edward back. I mean, it 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 doesn't make sense. It just this whole thing that this whole thing doesn't make any sense. But she's still smiling at you as she says those things. But you know what? And as she keeps talking, you know what I mean. Like the happiness comes into her voice. But you know what? There's always a silver lining, isn't there? We we we've all learned something today, haven't we? So cheer up, child. I'm, I'm sure everything will come out just fine. We'll wait for the police and everything will be fine. Here, I, I, I must go and, and, and make sure that everyone else is okay. Okay, child? It's just... <sighs> I love you. And with this big smile, she just kind of walks off and she starts tending, you know, helping the other, the other servants kind of clean up some of the room and, and get stuff around and, and you're left in the room by yourself.
we're going to jump forward quite a bit. And um, there's another connection that you have later in life. As you grew into adulthood and became a hero, you, you became known as Saint Shadow, right? That's the moniker that you took on as a hero of Renaissance City. Saint Shadow is a Robin Hood type. Yeah. Maybe a little more entrenched in the in the seediness of the city than than the traditional Robin Hood would be. But one of your major connections is a guy named that everybody calls Jules. Right? What do we what do we know about Jules? So Jules is a uh a middle-aged man. He is a, a, a black American. He runs a pawn shop in downtown Detroit. And as Al began to perfect his ability to take things and to steal things, he began to realize that he needed an ally that could help him fence some of those items. Um, because what he wanted to do was convert that into some sort of cash and then be able to um, help people that were less fortunate than him. And so he struck up a friendship with Jules. Now, Jules does not know Al's true identity. Um, everything is done through clandestine meetings, through covert communications. But Jules continues to help Al because Al lets Jules keep a significant cut when he does the fencing. And that has helped make Jules sort of unusually wealthy for a, a black American man in Detroit in the 1920s. Okay. Awesome. So he knows you only as St. Shadow. He doesn't know you as Alabaster Reginald Whitingale. How do you go about communicating with Jules? Um, how would he get in touch with you? So what typically happens is I will break into Jules pawn shop when nobody is there. And it started off as me leaving um, him gifts that I didn't ask any money for. So I would take certain items that maybe I knew had some street value and I would leave those in his pawn shop um, and not ask for anything. Would you leave notes or? Not at first. At first, I just left items. Over the course of a couple of months, then the note started. Okay. And I, I would leave a, a note with the item. And the note always said, um, please accept this gift. Yours truly, St. Shadow. So you identified yourself, what, six months into it? Two months? A year? Uh, yeah, probably three months. Probably three months. Three months? Three, okay. Yeah, about three months after leaving him gifts pretty steadily, maybe once every couple of weeks. So, I mean, at that point, I'd probably left him eight, ten gifts without any notes um, and then started leaving him gifts with notes. Um, not asking for anything, just saying, yours truly, St. Shadow. After uh, about a month of leaving those notes, Jules began leaving notes back for me. Sometimes he would thank me, sometimes he would ask why, um, etc. But eventually, um, he started leaving cash. I would leave an item and say, with the note that says, yours truly, St. Shadow, and he would leave me cash that said, forever yours, Jules. Forever yours. I love it. Okay. Forever yours. Great. That is the only way that we know each other. And one of the reasons that I like and trust Jules is that he has never, ever made an attempt to meet me. 
Okay. This communication that happens between the two of you is, is he doesn't wait up at night and try to catch you, you know, to meet you or anything like that. This is, this is all just been completely secret handwritten notes. Um, blind trust. Blind trust. Okay. Okay. I dig it. Okay. So, um, you've made a recent score. Um, you, you've picked up just some, it's an, it's an old coin collection from another wealthy family, but you don't steal from this family all the time, but you do hit them up at least a couple times a year because listen, the Wellingtons are the absolute worst. The Wellingtons are the fucking worst. <laughs> <laughs> they are the fucking worst uh, out of all of my, my family's socialite friends. The Wellingtons are the most snotty, snobby, condescending, racist, just terrible, terrible people. And so I do tend to steal from them uh, a bit more than perhaps any of my other family socialite friends. Yeah. So you have taken this coin collection from the Wellington house and you know that there's a decent amount of money in this. There's, There's probably... Eight nine thousand dollars in just just in this small book of coins. You make your way into Jewel's shop and you you leave your note. This time, it doesn't just say "forever yours, Jewel's." This time, it says "Detroit Institute of Art Roman Exhibition, November eleventh, forever yours, Jewel's." You had already heard that there was a Roman exhibition that was coming to the Detroit Institute of Art. And you've always kind of steered clear of the DIA because it's recently become publicly funded and they do a lot of things for the community and being who you are and the altruistic ideals that you hold. There's always been this kind of um, barrier that you have put up for yourself, uh, and and you you haven't attempted to take anything from the DIA. When you get this note, I think um, that it kind of gives you pause. One, because this is the first time he's ever communicated anything to you. He's ever, you know what I mean? This is obviously some sort of request. Right. Although it's not really that specific a request. And two, whether he knows it or not, he's asking you to break one of your own personal rules and and to steal from a place that you aren't necessarily comfortable stealing from. So I, I'm going to contemplate that for a minute. And I decide to write a more specific note back. Okay. To Jules. What does your note say? My note says 80%. Yours truly, Saint Shadow. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm going to take a minute and update you on our TTRP community and events, and then give props to other people in the RPG community that I think are doing and making awesome stuff. None of these are sponsors, just good people doing good things. 
The TTRP Twitch channel is live Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday nights with new streams joining the channel soon. High fantasy your thing? Join Beth as she takes her players through an updated version of The Red Hand of Doom, a 5e live play at 7 p.m. Central Time every Wednesday. Thor's days are for destruction, and Curtis takes a group through Princes of the Apocalypse live at 7 p.m. Central. Friday nights are for parties. We have two different games running Friday night. The first is Greyhawk City, Shadows of the Gem. It is a grim, dark, urban D&D 5e campaign in which I get to be on the other side of the table. Then starting at 10 p.m. Central, Curtis takes us into the depths of our own minds with Cult, Divinity Lost, a horror-inspired game set in Manhattan in 1990. Props. Get it? It's a theater reference. No? Nobody? Props this week is for Ice Cream Dice. You can find them on all social media platforms. Mark started Ice Cream Dice with a wildly successful Kickstarter campaign, and he hasn't looked back. He is also the founder of an amazing charity group, Forging Heroes Society, that helps provide role-playing materials for school-aged kids all across Canada, and even some now in the United States. He is my brother from another mother, and I am proud of what he is doing for the RPG community, so get out and support him, and we all know that you need more dice. Jason Abramowitz is an actor, a writer, and a filmmaker. Get a copy of his new collection of poetry titled Purposefully Unintentional at Amazon.com. All music in the show was written by me, Duke Walter. I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Renaissance City. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Invisible Duke. Follow TTRP Theater on Facebook at TTRP Theater or on Twitter at Theater TTRP. And don't forget to follow and subscribe to our channel on Twitch. Thanks for listening and come back next week when we pull back the curtain on our next hero.